just a bunch of witty banter. Good guy, Papa. What's up, guys? This is Witty Banter, episode number 52. I'm one of your hosts, Chase Williams. To my right, he is the unparalleled champion of Nidhogg. <laughs> it's Hunter Dorset. <laughs> That is your game. That was I mean, that was me killing another person in Nidhogg. In Nidhogg, becoming the champion. Yeah, they make some pretty violent screams whenever they get stabbed. They do. It's episode number 52, Hunter. 52. That means that Witty Banter fans could listen to an episode of Witty Banter once per week for a whole year now. 52s. Yeah, this is the one that you were really striving for, I guess, huh? Yeah, I like this one. I mean, like, we hit 50. I was excited for 50, but I was also ready for 52. Yeah, 52 is coming in at a good time, too, huh? I mean, considering where we are in our careers. This is kind of an exciting episode. This is the pre-graduation episode. Yes, it is. Tomorrow, we walk the stages. I receive my undergrad degree. You receive your master's degree (laughs) in account. You're about to be a master of counting pennies, my friend. Just call me Master Hunter. I I don't know if I can do that. (laughs) I really don't know. Well, that's just not fair, you know? (laughs) Well, don't call these doctors doctors. I mean, you can call me Master. I guess. (laughs) I wish that was how it was. I don't know. Hello, I think I would, Chase. I would rather be called a master <laughs> than a, a doctor, though, at that yeah. point in time. I mean, yeah. You know. Well, <laughs> yeah. anyway, uh, this is Witty Banter. Every episode we review a beer. We're going to be doing that as well. Um, and, and at the end of the ep- episode, we're going to talk about just graduation and stuff because it's sort of like a seminal moment for us. So be ready for that later. But until then, the beer that we have today... It's called, and you get your hand over it now. It's called the uh, Black Metal Farmhouse Imperial Stout from Jester King. Now, we picked this beer for a very somewhat specific reason, okay? There's a little bit of backstory to this, Hunter, that actually you don't know yet either. Oh, Jesus. So first of all, this is an Imperial Stout from Jester King. We had a Jester King beer, uh, I think the last time we did a witty banter, and we wanted to try it because the farmhouse style is like, oh, they use uh, yeast from the air, and it gives it like a real kind of like, sourness just like a funkiness Mm -hmm. well they do the same thing with this beer but it's an imperial stout so you're looking at like you know your typical like chocolate or toffee or caramel flavors but with that funkiness and so i really wanted to give it a shot and see what that would look like because it sounds super interesting right where are you getting that they're doing it the same way is it just because it says farmhouse yeah just because it says farmhouse and that's like their shtick i didn't know if that like Meant that all the same processes were going to be done the same way, but yeah, okay, cool. Now here's the backstory with this. I almost view this beer as like a rite of passage for myself because hmm. when I turned 20 years old, Max Scott and Andrew Tarvin came up to my house in College Station to celebrate. Okay, and they brought for me a bottle of this black metal beer. Yeah, it's got a nice name. It's it got a nice Chasey. Yeah, it's got a nice name. <laughs> the guy on the front, the logo, is basically Lars Umlaut from Guitar Hero. Yeah, it is. So they're like, Chase will love this, right? <laughs> and now this is 20-year-old Chase who has never drinking anything above probably Keystone. And I took a sip of this beer and I thought this is might be the most disgusting liquid <laughs> I have ever seen. And we ended up just pouring it down the drain and oh, keeping man. the and keeping the bottle. <laughs> now that's surprising that you had such a bad response, and you're still trying to try it now. Well, like I have to. I've, I've got to. I've got to think that hopefully my palate has been refined a bit. Yeah, maybe. And maybe I can handle this beer. The now, head Hunter, is sticking around on this thing. It's, dude. It's look dark. at how look how how low it goes, and then it just sits there. 
Like, it's not building up at all. Like, mine's just sitting here right Yeah, now. it just looks like a thick liquid. So, yeah, I, like, I like tried to do a professional pour and everything on my glass, and it's still got, like, half head. And it's, like, a pretty dark, like, high, like, large bubble foam head. Mm-hmm. So, have you tasted it and or smelled it? Um, I haven't done either. Take a sip. I'll describe the smell. Now, to me, the smell immediately, I can kind of smell that funkiness that we smelled in the Le Petit Prince. Um, I think I can kind of smell that yeast in it already, like the yeastiness. But I also get like a caramely kind of from the smell as well. I'm looking at your face right now, Hunter, and it looks very, I don't, I don't want to say different? like puckered, yeah. but it looks, what's it's, going on? This is a different beer than we've ever had. It's so just like, good. It's, it's a porter, but yeah, it's just like sour. Like you get it in the foam. It's, you get this like, oh my you think God. That it, yeah, you think it's going to be like this roasty, chocolatey drink, but it's like this sour, puckery. That is a lot more sour than I expected. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now I know like why your first instinct as a non-beer drinker was just to throw this away. <laughs> <laughs> this Probably is, like how it was with me with the Rauk beer, right? This but, is interesting, dude. Yeah. I'm, um, I mean, yeah, like the roastiness that I get from it is really good. Like, I like the hints of sort of coffee roastiness that I do yeah, get from it. Yeah, that flavor's there, definitely. But, um, but yeah, it's just so, so pungently sour. Like, I didn't think it would be that robust of a sour. Exactly, because with the, uh, the last farmhouse beer that we've had, it didn't really taste sour to me as much as it tasted, like, off you know, mm-hmm. there was just like a weird, and we, we described it as funkiness to Funky, it. Yeah. This does have like a, like on your tongue, a warhead type of sour to yeah. it. Not that <laughs> intense, obviously, but that just straight up, you know, like you feel it. And it is an interesting combination of things. It's like, it takes me like two seconds just to like get my bearings around each sip. I'm excited about this beer, man. I'm glad that this is unlike something we've had before. So I think I think this will want to be an interesting one to open up after yeah. a while. So let's put this one on the back burner okay. um, and go ahead and get into the news. This is Witty Banter. Okay, Hunter, I have a ton of news items, uh, mostly because we haven't done a Witty Banter in quite some time. Okay. Most of them are a little shorter and don't have, like, the news articles I read them didn't come with much, like analysis or commentary hey, so that's that's what we're for that's why we're here but yeah but you know we're, we're kind of we're, we're not experts on anything it doesn't matter we suck <laughs> all right well the first one is this guy named sundar pukai or puchai it's i'm gonna say his name wow it's it's, an, it's a pookie sundar pookie <laughs> senior vice president at google <laughs> Set on stage at a mobile at Mobile World Congress during a presentation that the company is working on a wireless service on a quote unquote small scale. He said Google will become a virtual network operator, which means it could buy wholesale access from Sprint and T-Mobile networks and then sell cellular plans to its own customers. Hmm. Um, Google will be treating the experiment as an experience similar to how it approached the first Nexus phone. After that program succeeded, the company decided to invest more time and resources into the growing brand. So, it looks like Google is going to, in a roundabout way, look at doing cell plans. Is that like the extent, or was that just an uh, example of what this means? I think that is what like the strategy is. Not an okay. example, but like... They're going to buy... So it sounds like they're going to buy data and text and all that from the other carriers. Yeah, they're just going to retail it. And then retail it. Yeah. That sounds... I mean, it makes sense. It just seems like 
what are I guess the only thing that would be pre- preventing Google from just uh, competing outright would be like infrastructure, yeah, right? and like just not having whatever wired hookup or setups that like Verizon and all these other people have. I mean, that makes sense. So they're basically um, using the other people's infrastructure for them. Yeah, they're already in the phone game. You know, they're already making their own phones. So yeah, yeah. that makes sense. I guess yeah. so. So yeah, when I read it, I was like, man, literally Google is going to do everything. Yeah. But I got to ask, like, I think when Google, like Google's been around for a while and they've always sort of fostered, at least in me, a feeling of like, well wishes, I guess. Like I've always kind of trusted Google and you know whatever they're doing. I'm like, all right, cool, man. Google, like they got their shit together. Yeah. When does that start to tip in the direction of like, okay, you guys literally are doing too much, and I can't escape you, and that's starting to become scary. I don't. I think that's a good question because the thing about it is, is they've provided so much for us already. We're so already dependent on them with you know just the instant. You know the Google search engine, and even like you know my my email, my main email is Google. Um, you know my main browser is Chrome. You know like I rely on Google a lot. YouTube, Google Drive, Google Drive. I use Google Drive. Like Google crazy. Drive was like a savior for college. Oh, it's the best thing to happen to colleges. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, like you know they have YouTube and all these other things that are just like very, very relevant in our everyday lives. So, I think that that gives them a little bit of a leeway. I mean, I think that we should keep those kinds of things in mind as they do try and push forward different, um, you know, business models and business plans. But I think that we, yeah, we should keep in mind that it is a company. It's still a profit, like. I'd say Google is probably better about investing in not profitable scenarios that are just technologically driven or, or mm-hmm. advanced driven more so than the other people. Maybe not so much as like Tesla. Right. Like Tesla's always in the red because they're just like, we don't care what the profit is. Are they really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Tesla's always in the red. Um, Interesting. But yeah, I think I think we do need to keep in mind that it is, you know, it is a company and they do have company profit motives. And, you know, as long as they can keep churning out things that are just, like, incredibly useful <laughs> and, yeah, Intuitive. That, that actually work, um, then I think we should give them that leeway. And I don't think that we should – I don't think that we should be too quick to jump and say, hey, no, you're fucking up, you know, because of this little small thing or this little small thing. We should kind of – we should give them a little bit of leeway, but only so much. Cool. All right, man. Next news story. This one's about Tesla. Nice. They recently made a pretty big hire today to Tesla Motors. Hmm. They signed former Red Bull Racing head mechanic Kenny Hancomer to become the California car maker's new global director of service training. So, Interesting. Yeah. So Elon Musk took to Twitter uh, about it and he said, Welcome at Chief Bolt Kenny H to Tesla Motors. Um, he will apply Formula One techniques to revolutionize servicing mainstream cars. Uh, so Han, Han Kammer, who can boast um, 13 Formula One World Championships and 97 race wins across stints with Bennington, Renault, and Red Bull, will move to the U.S. for his new role. So what it looks like they're trying to do with this, putting him in charge of service, is sort of changing the entire culture of um, 
getting your car serviced at a dealership Repairs, entirely. Because yeah. let's be honest, like when have you ever said, when have you heard anyone ever say like, that's my favorite part about having a car is talking to someone who's going to service it. Auto know? mechanics are like, yeah, one of the worst overheads of all time. for sure. Yeah. So what do you think they're going to try to do? Uh, and there was a quote from, from this Kenny Honkheimer guy that I didn't include in the docket. Unfor- uh, I forgot. He's, and he says something along the lines like, you know, formula one's all about being like quick efficient and whatever and we're going to mm-hmm. apply that to like getting our car serviced as well mm-hmm. i just thought it was an interesting move that that's sort of where they go that's how they they're picking people for their dodgeball team and they picked him you know yeah and that's a that's an interesting pick you know and uh tesla's already kind of changing the landscape of repairs like the way that tesla cars like if you have a messed up tesla you just like take it back to the tesla factory and they'll like let you rent out another tesla while they're doing that so mm-hmm. like that in and of itself is revolutionary but then yeah like oh, if that, that's not entirely true you can you can do that most dealerships they'll give you a rental car they'll just give you a free rental car because you, yeah because you think. messed up your car i don't know no well i don't know the details but it doesn't sound like totally obtuse it, no but I, i'm pretty sure that like the way that they deal with like the repairs and stuff is a little different um, I feel like it would almost have to be given how they have to like slink around to even sell their shit. Yeah, right. Um, but the only thing about you know keeping it like super quick and um, efficient is you know you, you're still gonna have to make sure that like all the cars can pass like you know like regulations, standard and stuff. safety, yeah, stuff. like the every yearly inspection. So I mean, like as long as you can do that, then yeah, that sounds awesome because mechanics suck. Mm-hmm. They're horrible. They are. They're terrible. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I just that got me excited seeing Tesla and um, F one in the same sentence. And then I was just like, what if Tesla had their own F one team? <laughs> hey man, it's not, <laughs> not too out of the future. Okay, the next one. You know, so this this next news item, Hunter. I don't think you and I are going to be able to offer very much like super insightful stuff on, but I think it's worth noting that like. I think it was about a week and a half ago. The U.S. Court of Appeals ruled that bulk collection of telephone metadata is unlawful in a landmark decision that clears the way for a full legal change against the NSA. Wow. So a panel of three federal judges uh, for the Second Circuit overturned an earlier ruling that the controversial surveillance practice first revealed to the U.S. public by the NSA whistleblower Edward Snowden in 2013 could not be subject to judicial review. Hmm. So when I pulled this out of the article, the grand scheme, like the story it was building on was more about talking about um, the renewal, the renewal of the Patriot Act and like sort of what this means for it as far as like you've already got people saying that what we do is unlawful. You know, where is that going to end up with the renewal? I don't I'm not really I don't know what's going on with that, Mm -hmm. but I still thought this was interesting that we you know, we sit here and talk about all the time how. Well, you know, everything you do on the internet, like, is basically mined, and people have that somewhere, and they're and the U.S. court is is saying like, hey, this is this is not right, which mm-hmm. I feel like reflects a lot of the sentiment that the everyday person kind of has. Yeah, because like with the Patriot Act in particular, like, it just seemed like it was just passed through fear. Oh, it was three days. It was the you quickest know, bill like of all time. Uh, yeah, and. There's a reason why the legislation, this legislative branch, is made the way it is, and it's such a slow-moving process, and it's so things like fear don't get pushed through like that. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, that that wasn't the case, and it did get pushed through. But 
I think it's great. I, I, I don't think that... I don't think that we should necessarily, like, have just complete, like, no bound. I think... I, I, I don't know how to say this. Like, I want to almost say that we have, like, a data dumpster mm-hmm. to be able to place things in. But, like, that means, in, in a way, that is also somebody just, like controlling that data right uh, and if it's not the government then it's like who is it you know it, it, can we trust anyone if not the government to to do stuff with that data so what will be interesting is to see what that leaves open you know if the government doesn't do this what does that mean that does that mean that people are going to be like taking advantage of that in some sort of way because the government is now not like doing this or it's just i read an opinion piece that was talking about how surveillance needs to end because your private moment should be private, right? And they and he gave like a lot of sentimental um, examples, being like, you know, when, when you're on the phone with your significant other and you cried and you did this, like anyone can like hear that and listen to that, and you know that shouldn't be right. And when I read it, I was like, okay, that kind of makes sense. But at the same time, like if you don't ever know who is looking at what you do and you don't know if they actually are looking at it or not. Does it really matter? And I'm playing devil's devil's advocate here in a way. Like, if so, so what? Everyone's reading my shit right now. You know, so what? Mm-hmm. You know, what are they? What are they gonna do about it? Again, I mean, it goes it goes back to the sort of not satisfactory idiom of like, if you don't have anything to hide, then why do you? Care? Yeah, where it's just like it's the again, principle of the matter. Then yeah, which is again kind of like it's not satisfactory enough for us as a reason to um, do something or not do something. But I don't know. I guess, like, it still holds true to me to a certain extent. I, I agree with what you're saying That in that, like, if you really aren't doing anything that bad or that horrible or that, you know, shameful, then it shouldn't really matter if anybody's watching you. But at the same time, that doesn't make it okay for people to watch you, regardless totally. of what you do. So... There's still a very gray line that I'm walking and <laughs> trying sure. to understand of like what we should be doing with that for sure. Yeah, I think it's interesting that this the Patriot Act renewal is coming up and it, it's kind of playing a pretty important political role as far as like everyone wants to know where you fall in, on renewing it. And there's a lot of politicians who are pretty adamantly campaigning like against the renewal and, and all that. I think, uh, what is it, Rand Paul had just started a filibuster like yesterday on mm. the... Um, the renewal of it, of it. Wow. and I think this is actually pretty smart from him. Just as an aside, he 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 took to Twitter and he said like, do a hashtag uh, stand with Rand or something like that. Wow! And what he'll do is while he's filibustering, he'll read like every tweet that people tweet at him. You know, <laughs> just you know, it's a and to me, I was like, that's a genius way of wasting time, but wasting time through what the people are saying. You know, right? Like, that's and that makes cool. you feel like you're literally a voice of the people. Mm-hmm. You know, and. Yeah, that's like extremely smart in my opinion. And the renewal is the renewal is the act of changing this thing about the NSA collecting our data, right? I I would have I would imagine that if the Patriot Act was not remo- renewed, then all of the pre-existing infrastructure of data collection would have to seriously change. Yeah. You know? Because like when they say renewal of the Patriot Act, that just means that just sounds like a new face. They're re-upping it. It means yeah. like the bill goes out of existence at this time. You can re-sign it to continue it, or you can nev- not re-sign it, and it's not a law anymore. Oh, yeah. oh, so they only had like a limited amount of time on it? Yeah. Well, it was like a 15-year mark or something? 
Yeah, I guess so. I don't know the details. That's interesting. The details. I've never really heard of that, like a like a interim law. Yeah. That's well, interesting. I also don't know much about what <laughs> goes on up there. That's okay. We're good Americans. That's fair. Okay. Moving right along. This one is just more interesting in terms of like raw numbers. I thought this was pretty cool. We've talked about this game on the podcast a lot, so I, I think it you know, you know we, we can say something about it. But as of March 31st, Destiny had more than 20 million registered players with active players playing about three hours a day, according to the company's latest financial report released. Compare that to January 5th when Activision announced that the game had more than 16 million registered players and active players playing more than three hours a day. So basically, uh, player active users have gone up, average time playing has gone slightly down, but Destiny as a platform has 20 million registered players, and that is a massive number. Do you do you know like where that stands in relevance to other major games? So I can, I can give it to you... In terms of like other services, so okay. Xbox Live um, has about sixty-five million, or maybe it's sixty million subscriptions uh, users, and I think Steam had like sixty-five or like eighty million. It's in my paper. I'm just gonna go read it again. And oh, I'm sorry. No, you're good. <laughs> um, and then the PlayStation Network, which back when these um, statistics were taken, this was before the PSN had a. A price tag on it. it had like 110 million users. So if you just compared the amount of people playing Destiny to the amount of people playing Xbox Live with or with with Xbox Live, it's 20 million versus 60 million. So if Destiny was its own service, it would be a pretty substantial service. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Sounds like it. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty amazing. It didn't really surprise me. I mean, it does considering how much vitriol surrounds it. it well, just how much just baggage, you know. It's just like, it's always, it's it's good and it's real badass, but mm-hmm. it's all I ever hear, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, but I just, I feel like those conversations are being had with like the most hardcore of gamers. And I think that what's interesting about that game is it's sort of, it draws in the casual players. It's like, you know, oh, you don't really play games, but you play Destiny every day. It mm-hmm. gets them really well. But it also did a pretty good job at getting those hardcore people as well, because even if those hardcore people are sort of bitching about the minutia, they still played it as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I just saw 20 million and I was like, wow, man, Destiny is a big deal. Um, it can't be ignored. It, it shows up consistently on most major news websites because it gets clicks still. Mm-hmm. And I'm honestly, they've rolled out several updates um, in, in DLC packs that I haven't played, but I've read about them. And the changes to the game mechanics and systems that they've made, I think are really smart. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited for Destiny 2. Like, I think that's when I'll probably jump back in and give it another shot is when they do the sequel and they've taken all that they've learned. And, you know, I actually have a question. Like, before you started playing Halo, do you feel like you were like an avid gamer? Uh, yeah, because when I, when I started playing Halo, I was in about sixth grade before Halo. I played GameCube, uh, like religiously. I had Mario Sunshine. I had Zelda Wind Waker. I was, I was in my gaming days for sure. Because I was, I was kind of wondering, you know, if Halo was one of those franchises that kind of brought you into your own as a gamer and whether or not Destiny can be doing that with like a new generation of kids. Oh, absolutely, man. Totally. I think that parallel can be made. You know, I think that can really be said about you know, maybe any game like <laughs> Halo definitely got me. Halo brought a lot of people to the forefront. Absolutely. It brought me into like the new generation of, it definitely changed me as a gamer. Um, and I can see how Bungie's doing the same thing with destiny right now. So maybe not any game could do that. You know, good games, obviously, yeah. but I think, and I think it is 
conducive to like children. Like it's really not a, a gory game. There might be some blood. I mean, it's violent because you're shooting guns. Yeah. But like it's a kind of a cartoony right take Feel. on that stuff. So yeah. Anyway. Interesting. Okay, last piece of news. The Oc- uh, Oculus announced that the long-awaited consumer version of the Oculus Rift hardware will be released in the first quarter of 2016. Further details, including what to expect from the final version of hardware and pricing, remain unknown. And then we have a quote from a representative of Oculus who says, Us partnering with Facebook has allowed us to do a lot of things we wouldn't have been able to do otherwise, like hiring 300 people to work on getting the Rift out as quickly as possible to the quality level we wanted to do. We wanted to do. Um, I can't comment on the date one way or another in either direction, but I can say that nothing is going horribly wrong. Everything is going horribly right. So it seems that we've been talking about Rift for about a year and a half now, and the end is finally coming coming near. It's going to be out sometime January or first quarter 2016. So the Rift will be available for... I mean, will it have its own games? Like, it won't be compatible with, like, Xbox and PS4, right? So there are, like, speculation that maybe Xbox is going to try to go after the Rift, considering it doesn't have its own internally made... um, VR headset like Sony does. They've got the Project Morpheus. You have the so HoloLens. They do have the HoloLens, right? But uh, but that's altered reality, not it's augmented reality. Right, but yeah. but I mean that brings up a good point. Like a lot of people say, okay, well if Microsoft isn't going for that, they're going to try their own thing. But if they were going to, it would still be a good idea. To be like we could still get the Rift on our that would on, be great on our platform. Yeah. Uh, so it would basically be PC and let's say potentially Xbox One. But the PC ecosystem of, I mean, PC is basically the biggest open platform to put your game on. So, like, anybody can make games for the Rift if they have the developer kit. Yeah. You know? So, so but, like, it's going to be for PC gamers right now. Yes. As far as we understand. Yes. This is a totally a PC-centric item. So it leaves us out in the cold, right? Totally. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that sucks. But uh, one thing that I didn't put on this um, outline Sony had also said that they plan on this was after they that Oculus this Oculus news happened. They say that their Project Morpheus is going to be set to release like spring of 2016 as well. So it looks wow. like they're going to be coming at about the same time. So 16 is the VR year, I guess. It seems like it, man. Um yeah, it's like so is it that you can already take existing games or is it like once the the Rift is out, the they're going to have to make the games around Rift. Like, yeah, so I couldn't just, like, put on a Rift and start playing World of Warcraft, could I? No. Okay. And so that's what's interesting about it, is you've got some games who are being, like, sort of made compatible with the Rift. Like, they've already been designed, but, like, let's see if we can make it, you know, with the Rift as well. Mm-hmm. And you can do that, and it definitely does kind of feel a little shoehorned in. It's not, like, like you said, it wasn't made from the ground up. The problem... With any propri- proprietary like gaming hardware like this, is the developer support for it? Because oftentimes the best experiences that you could possibly have with these pieces of hardware, the ones that were designed for from the ground up, mm-hmm. the thing is, is not everyone's going to own it. Not everyone's yeah. going to spend, let's say, two hundred fifty, three hundred dollars on this Rift. So you have a very small um, install base. So there's a lot of like business decision there to be say, saying like we can just make this game shoehorn the Rift experience in it, which means it probably won't be that good. It'll just be addition, uh, but they can play it, or we can try to build a game for it from the ground up and hope that our game is the reason why people want to go out and buy the Rift. So they'll yeah. they'll buy it and our game. What's super interesting is that Sony just announced this last week that they have um, started a Oculus Rift only development team. 
for uh, games within Sony. Yeah, w- with, wow. within their um, first party. So they basically have a first party developer now that is going to be set clearly on making Project Morpheus games for their VR headset. Oh, okay, not Rift. Yeah, but I mean, interesting. You know. Yeah, the VR. Well, that's yeah, that's that's really interesting. Like. Does the Oculus, is it just going to require you to, like, plug in to your computer or something? Yeah. Like, I guess I don't even know how well, it's... Because, and what's, a lot of people say that what these things might live and die by as well is that all of the processing that is done for the Rift and for the game has to be done on the PC. So, mm. regardless of if you have the Rift or not, you need to be able to have a badass PC that can support it as well. Right. Now... And so that's also like a limiting factor on who can buy it. Um, mm-hmm. But what's interesting is like the HoloLens, that's all done in the glasses. Yes. So that technically would be a little more like, I guess, install friendly. Foolproof. You know, yeah. like you don't have to have a badass PC to use the HoloLens. You just have to have the HoloLens. So, mm-hmm. and you know, with the Morpheus, it'll be running off of your PlayStation. But I can see how the Morpheus would be a little more like consumer friendly because it's it's easier to say we'll just have a PlayStation than it is saying like we'll have this graphics card and this processor and blah blah blah. Yeah, you know? yeah, I agree. Well, that sounds pretty cool, man. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, that'll be one of those things that, again, I'll have to wait until I hear reviews about it before knowing I'm going to spend money on it. I'm not a first follower, or I'm not a um, fast follower. Not a fast follower. What are the innovator? The first people that that try the that pick up the. New models, opinion and stuff. leader, um, early adopter, early adopters. Yeah, I'm not an early adopter, but I'll finally have money like by that time this year so, mm-hmm. or next year. So that'll be like something I can at least consider. What do you of think would be a good price tag for it? Let's say you have a PlayStation already and you're gonna get the Morpheus. How much is too much? So I have the PlayStation. I'm gonna get the Morpheus. Yeah. And there's like we're gonna assume that there's at least a few games out that are yeah, w- you, worth playing. Exactly. Um, I would think on original release, I mean, three hundred dollars doesn't really rub me the wrong way. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I was, it's, it's fucking VR. You know? Yeah, I was gonna. Well, three hundred is only fifty dollars cheaper than the whole Xbox One. Right. You know. Yeah. But yeah, I think three hundred makes sense as like an initial release. I think the early adopters will pay three hundred. I think if it would if it were two fifty, that would be perfect. That'd be amazing. That'd be lower than I would have expected. Like mm-hmm. it just seems like it's gonna be a really sophisticated piece of equipment. And like even if they pushed it to like four fifty, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. You know? I wouldn't be able to I don't think I'd throw it down for four fifty. I'd have to wait. Yeah, I mean, I just think that it's like it's really supplementary entertainment at this at this point. It's really not like the mainstay. Like, you know, you buy your Xbox or your PS4, and you know, like a lot of things are going to be coming out of it. Whereas, like with VR, I feel like it's going to be pretty straightforward. Just like I'm going to throw down a lot of money to have this sort of experience. Yeah, but I think those experiences are extremely powerful ones. Yeah, exactly. That's why they could. That's why I think that you know they they could be justified in pushing it higher if they wanted to. But I mean, it's just going to be a a price point negotiation between the price point negotiation. Oh yeah, that's all the witty banter news that we've got. So. Let's take a halftime break. We'll come back and talk about this beer. Okay. All right, beta pip. This is Witty Banter. Don't forget to follow us at Witty Banter Show on Twitter and shoot an email over to wittybantershow at gmail.com. Beta pip. 
How many beeps do you think we've done in our life now that we started this? Does Bidoop Beep Boop count as four or one? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> I'm going to say one. If it counts as one, I mean, we've done at least three in an episode for the last, like, 50 episodes. Yeah, so. but think about how often we do this shit in our living room now. Oh, God. Well, I mean, if I, I, of all time, it's innumerable. I'd, be, I'd reckon to say that we might be some of the most annoying people in the world to hang out with. Hey, man. As long as we make ourselves laugh, that's all that really matters. <laughs> I guess. Okay, let's talk about this beer, Hunter. This is an interesting beer. You're right. And once again, this beer is called the Black Metal Farm Whore. F- Farm Whore. <laughs> the Black Metal Farmhouse Imperial Stout from Jester King. So it even says like a pH level. Is, is that the acidity level? or I guess so, It's like man. a 3.6. So I think that that means it's pretty... Acidic. Acidic, yeah. yeah. Right. Basic will be above. Um... So you, what do you think, man? So whenever, as far as like the smell, like I don't get any of the sour from the smell. Okay. Um, I got it from tasting the uh, the foam on the head, but I didn't get really any, like whenever I smell it, I pretty much just get like a normal uh, stout smell. It's kind of just the roastiness and stuff. When you take uh, a sip... It's like this immediate just sort of like flare of sourness. Mm-hmm. It hits you immediately. Yeah, it's it's an immediate... It's, it's, that's the first thing you get. Um, and then it takes a while for it to kind of simmer out and then leave some of that roastiness behind. Yeah. Um, it's a little... I mean, it's an imperial... It's an imperial stout, right? Yeah. Um, I guess... 9.1%. The body of it is about what I would expect. You know, I honestly find it a little thinner. A little thinner, maybe. Which I kind of like. A little thinner, um, but but it's around mm-hmm. where I found it. So that's really what I got right now. I mean, as it's as it's opened up right now, like the sourness hasn't really eased, which uh-huh. I was kind of hoping would. I kind of I was kind of hoping that like it being real cold and right out of the fridge would make that like the coldness affect the sour more so. But now it's like it's getting warmer and it's still really sour. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm like really liking this beer, man. Okay. I think I, it's a sophisticated beer. When I smell it, you're right. You get more of like a, uh, roasted malt smell. I don't, I'm not, I don't think there's really chocolate in here. Okay. I think it's more of like a toffee. I think it's just like kind of roasty and toffee. Okay. But I can get a little bit of sour smell. I know that that sounds weird to even say like, how can you smell sour? But like you can smell an offness, like a difference, a differentness in this beer. Now, when you first taste it, I'm just like you, where the sour hits me first and immediately, and it's strong, right? Um, and as the beer like washes through my mouth, it kind of just hangs out the whole time, and you get more of the uh, toffee and roasted stuff in the end, like you were saying, but I think the, the sour hangs out the whole time. Right, yeah, it didn't go away. But I love that dichotomy right now. I think I'm kind of in a way, tired of, of dark beers because I think they all taste and feel the same. Mm-hmm. And I really like what this one is doing, how there is almost a brightness to it that the sour is bringing on top of all of those dark, rich flavors. And to me, it's just something new and it's something different and it's executing it really well. And it's not like gross. It kind of feels gross when you first start it out, but the more you hang out with it, you'd realize that like you can do it. Right. Um, I've also started taking like bigger sips, really feel like almost filling my mouth with it when I, when I drink it and it's sort of helping me deal with the sourness. Hmm. 
Um, but yeah, I'm really enjoying it so far. Yeah, I think that it is. I mean, we'll wait to to put off like real numbers or whatever on it. I think it's well done too, and I and I think that it is. It just makes it an interesting feel, you know. Like very rarely would you think like, oh, a stout, and it's got all these roasty qualities and all this stuff, and then you're like, it's sour. You yeah, know? it's just it really it keeps you honest in your drinking experience, kind of like you have to approach every sip like, okay, like I need to really think about kind of what this is going to be about. Yeah, I think like you said, this beer is it, that just speaks to its complexity. <clears throat> yeah, it's such a well executed complexity, mm-hmm. and I and also that. um like that sourness almost makes the beer feel lighter than it actually is. And I think the fact that I can kind of sit here and take a big quaff of an Imperial stout. And when I rinse it down my throat, I'm like, ah, you know, and I almost have like a refreshing, it's almost got a refreshingness to it because yeah, of that sourness. Like, yeah. It doesn't like bear you down. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm enjoying it. Okay. So let's move along. All right. We'll do some get to know your banners. Oh, hey, my name is, <laughs> Hey, oh, no, oh, you, no, you no, go no, my bad. What, Have what's I your favorite? Um, I'm Wait, sorry, you don't what think... was that? Get to know, know your banners. banners. I don't really have like a, a straight up question for this segment. Okay. Other than like, we're about to be done with academic and college life. And we've been in this lifestyle for five years now. Yep. Been a good five years. What are you going into this weekend where this is sort of the moment where the pen- pendulum swings and that all changes? Like, Looking back at it all, how do you feel about your experience and what it's brought to you? And like, what are you excited and fearful for for the future with such a big change, like kind of coming? Like my future? Yeah. You can, you know, or yeah. I had a lot of stuttering there. I had a lovely college experience. Um, I, I, I had so many just like, fun times i had so many times of personal growth i met so many people um and so just like all of just being thrown in the novelty that is college for everybody and and just experiencing it with everybody i mean it's gonna be sad not having that sort of open mindset i feel like whenever i whenever i start working into the quote-unquote real world whatever that is um, I just, I just, I just feel like people are going to be so much more closed off, uh, either to new experiences or, uh, to meeting different kinds of people and, or, or, you know, different ways of thinking. I, I, I just don't, I just hope that the way that my college experience worked with, where even whenever I was in a fraternity and I was living with fraternity members, um, and mind you, like we were deep in the Greek game. It wasn't like we were just like satellites of the group like we did greek day every day we yeah. you know but still like those people were people that i was having conversations with about open-mindedness and about um learning and growing and accepting people and new things and stuff and so i just hope that i just hope that that is still uh as prominent and as relevant as it is in college especially you know in austin where it's like it's it's Texas still, but it's like 
liberal and kind of everybody understands that and like you have a right to be able to kind of think more openly about it. Yeah, that. it's almost like even though across the board college students might all be like vastly different, maybe the one single thread of, of um, like similarity is the fact that they are all willing to be like open to conversation and like there is like a certain spirit of, of college that yeah. permeates through all of them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I don't know if you'll we'll, we'll actually find that um, moving away from it. But I will say like... I can imagine that the type of people that college like creates is, you know, hopefully it's these open-minded ones that we're talking about Mm. and now educated ones. I think those people are going to find the same types of people out there. You know, I think there is certainly like a wealth of closed-minded, ignorant people out there who, you know, whatever. They're running shit right now. They'll do their own thing, you know, but that doesn't mean that we have to only hang out and be around them. Right. Yeah. For me, you're right, dude. The growth is the weirdest one. I look back and like every year I went to school, like so let's say my freshman year happened and then I'm a sophomore and looking back, I'm like, wow, I was literally a different person mm-hmm. that last year. And then looking back at sophomore year, thinking the same thing, junior year, thinking the same thing. And it's mm-hmm. it's crazy to me how much like a year can make a difference in terms of like how I think about the world, how I view the world, myself in the world and all of that. And I hope that like continues. I think it will, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I mean, I think that's the only way to grow right. is to continue, continually do that for sure. Um, but you have to surround yourself in an environment that allows you to do that as well. You know, I, I think college is good about that because it's like every year you're going to a new grade, you're doing new classes, you're meeting new people. Um, I'm hoping that in my journey at PwC that like every three years they kind of promote you to a new level uh-huh. and like... With all those new responsibilities, you kind of, like, get accustomed to, like, talking and, and interacting with new people and stuff. So I'm kind of hoping that that is how I grow. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I know other people that uh, are in positions and other jobs where, like, they're just kind of stuck, you know, and, like, they're not they're not growing. And, and I think that would be the most tragic thing for me is, like, yeah, it's if I can't look back in a year or two or three time yeah. and be like, I am completely different now and for the better, hopefully, you know? Sure. So and a question I have for you as well. You've been at UT for five years now. Yes. Uh, I've bounced around schools. And so like a feeling of like ownership slash pride was always like kind of hard to come by for me in my universities. Like to me, I was always just like, well, I'm here at this school now. I'm doing my thing. Um, it wasn't really like, a oh like I know the name of every building I know the history and all that and it really wasn't until probably like the last six to eight months that I finally started feeling that with UT and like I walk around the campus and I'm like this is just immensely incredible like this place is amazing like walking up to the PCL like looking up and just seeing the size of this building and like all of the books that are inside and just being like dude this place is the holy grail yeah what what did it like how did it feel for you going to your last class and being on being on campus in a purposeful way for the last time, like a few weeks ago? You know? Yeah, yeah. I think I know. I told you, but on my last day of class, I just like it wasn't until two, and I didn't have a whole lot going on, so I just I went up there. I went up to campus around noon, and I got lunch. It was a nice day outside, and then I just walked around campus for like an hour. Um, people watched, but. I have a lot of pride in 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 my university, and um, you know, I I don't I don't think that we're like 
flawless or that we're better than everybody else. It's just like for what it was for me, it was just so great. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I don't know. It's not. It's not because of the sense of nationalism, you know, that kind of comes around UT. It's not like, oh, well, I went to UT and UT was good, so it was like, no, like I. I saw my brother go through college. I saw Brooks go. I saw both my brothers go through college. I know a, a lot of other friends that went to different colleges and stuff. And it just like bang for my buck. Experiences that I got, how much I grew, the resources I was, um, I was uh, that were available to my fingertips, and then just being in an amazing city. You know, I mean, it, there's very few. Um, events and t- periods of time where you have all of those things align um, for your benefit. So, um, and it is a beautiful campus and like through the architecture. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. The, like everything's made out of limestone. Everything is white and orange, you know, just mm-hmm. like the school colors are. And this, the statues that are everywhere, the Oak trees, the that speedway are, trees are, wonderful. you know, like you can walk in the shade almost on the entire campus. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it still feels like it's almost like a part of the city though. It doesn't feel like it's like, I went to so many private campuses that were just like so much of the area was just like lawns and like very specific landscaping and stuff. And like at UT, I still feel like it's like a part of the surrounding area. They almost didn't have to try to do it. All they had to do was just like keep it up. Yeah. It was like they didn't try and make the campus like a completely separate entity from the city. Um, They kind of just interwove it into what existed in the city, which is great because like you know, it is, it's really close. I mean, it's right. It's, it's, I think it's sort of crazy too, that like our campus is what 15 blocks from like one of the biggest major, uh, tourist attractions, uh, the capital in in us. No, um, (laughs) sixth street. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we live really close to a major event area. And not even just 6th Street. There's West 6, East 6, and Rainy. Yeah. Um, all over there. And I just feel like I just feel like there is like, you know, like a, a, even A&M kids. Like if an A&M kid's going to go out to a bar, he's going to pay covers to go into bars and stuff. We don't have to pay covers. Sure. You know, if, um, you know, it, it, like I just feel like things were more just convenient. Here at UT, I, I feel like I never really felt myself being like, man, like I wish things were like this, or I wish things were more like this. Like everything was pretty much how I wanted it to yeah. be here. All everything you was go pretty do much is planned. Do it, yeah, just go know? do yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so walking the stage for your masters, how dope does it feel to have a master's degree, man? <laughs> It's going to feel more dope when I'm done with this CPA stuff. Yeah. Like, because the CPA is just this lingering feeling that, like, you got your master's, but so what? (laughs) Kind of thing. So, because, like, it's testing me over all the stuff that, like, gave me my master's. Sure. It's it's not like it's, like, vastly, like, it's the same stuff. It's just all of it. At once. So. Be flawless. So, like, once I get through that, like, yeah, I, I think that you're going to see, like, a pretty amazing spark of pride mm-hmm. whenever I get through um, with all of these little endeavors, including the CPA. But, I mean, just, I, I mean, I can uh, tentatively give a, you know, what that feeling is like with the masters. I mean, people, is most of it's just like how people react. 
That's and what I, I'm and saying. I, and I think that that's what's funny, too, is like, I know I worked harder. In fact, I actually met a kid yesterday that um, was a Delt whenever I was going to Taco Joint. I saw him, and I recruited this kid, and um, he was like asking me what my deal was. I'm like, yeah, I'm getting my master's in accounting. I'm about to go work for PwC. And he's like, you're an MPA? And I was like, yeah. And uh, he said that he like started doing MPA and dropped out because he hated it so much. And I was like, well, damn, like I didn't even know that was an option. You know, like, <laughs> like I guess I just didn't even think that what I was doing was that much harder than what normal people were doing in accounting or whatever. But um, yeah, I almost feel like I kind of slumped into it a little bit. Like I've worked hard. Um, there's a, yeah, and there's like a lot of, I don't know how much of it is true, but you know, people outside of the business school throw shade at the business school often saying things like once you're in it, you know, they just give grades to make their percentages look good and all that. Like, I mean, that's not untrue, you know, like they, like to what extent they don't want kids failing their classes. Does that bother you? No. That doesn't bother you? I don't think academics is about making kids fail. Maybe not about making kids fail, but like having failure be an option at least. Failure's definitely still an option, but like they don't design their courses around making some kids fail and some kids succeed. Like if you do, if you go to all the classes and if you like do what you're supposed to do, like you should do well. Yeah, but I think that could be said about any class. No. No? Mm -mm. Engineering? No. No, yeah. You can know every uh, formula in the book, but if you don't know how to apply it in this specific setting and this specific scenario, that'll be like your one question for the whole test and you're fucked. You know, like, (laughs) seriously, it's how it is. And, like, I, you know, in English, like, you can know everything there is to know, but, like, if you don't, if you don't write it in a certain way that, like, that particular teacher wants it in this way, then, like, you can get effed from it. Like, with business, it's, it's a lot of the, a lot of the subject matter is a lot more commonsensical anyway. It's, like, saying things you already kind of know out loud, you know, for the first time. Um, So, it's never that it's really, like, super difficult subject matter it's just like did you do it if you did it then you should be fine kind of thing and and a lot more of it is just about like the time management as opposed to how difficult it is sure um so like i understand why people you know throw flack at the business school i I think it's a little warranted but at the same time it's not a pushover you know right i'm so proud of it but um yeah I, i i think i will be very proud to walk across the stage, get the masters. It feels good. Um, but I think for me, like the biggest surge of pride is going to come from getting the masters and having a CPA. I mean, that's, 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 that's where the real, like, okay, I'm a fucking boss. Did you, when you graduated last year for the first time, did you walk the stage at Frank Irwin? Yes. Are you going to walk the stage for Frank Irwin this year? I am at, um, Gregory. Okay. The Gregory annex. What's a pretty cool little, stat that I've realized, and this sort of pertains to you, but it pertains to me out of my, so both times that I've graduated, both in high school and now in college, when I walk at the stage tomorrow, I will have walked on a stage that Rush has performed on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There so you go. The, at the pavilion and now Frank Irwin. <laughs> okay. <laughs> awesome. Hey man, me too. But yeah, man, I think I'm most excited right. just to see the whole, the whole, um, event, you know, cause even when we graduated high school, like when you're going to high school graduation, like you don't really care. But then once I was in my gown, I was there with everyone else and I was like witnessing the ceremony. I was like, okay, like I'm a little proud. I've accomplished something. You know, not everyone does this. I understand most people do, but I felt like a little tinge of pride even when I didn't think I would at all. Mm. And the same has kind of been with like college, like leading up to graduation. I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm just going to finish college and that'll be that. 
you know, of course I will. Like, it's just going to happen eventually. But now that I'm like a month out, I'm like, I'm kind of feeling a little more prideful. And I have a feeling that once I'm sitting underneath like the fucking tower Mm -hmm. and and like I have a guy who's, you know, awesome. He's just a badass giving the commencement speech. I'm going to be like, this is dope, dude. Yeah, I'm excited, (laughs) man. Do you think like, do you think that what is the thing that allows us to feel pride for things like diplomas that are given to us. I mean, if we weren't given a diploma and we still did all the work, would we still feel just as proud? I mean, yeah. Because at the end of the day, like, no one really is going to see our diploma as much as us and maybe close relatives or friends who are going to be in maybe like our office that we have it in. But the but fact that's that... that's what we fall back on is that we graduated from this place and got the diploma. Exactly, right? like, yeah. Yeah. You know, and yeah, I mean, that's... That's the mon- that's like the marker of what you did. And I mean, even if it wasn't like, what if college didn't have an end date and you didn't get a diploma? You could still say, I spent five years in college. Mm-hmm. And that still means something. Yeah. Know? It's just like weird because I feel almost like I shouldn't feel... It's not that I don't think I should feel proud because I do think that I should like take pride in what I have accomplished. It's just like I know so many people that have had such a harder route in college oh, yeah. just for like different reasons like whether or not it's like they had enough money to go through the college or you know like the family specific emergencies. family emergencies sicknesses like specific things that happen in, in the middle of their yeah and just like the middle of their tests or just really important parts of their coursework that just like fell through um i just feel like there's so many of those instances but i never really felt like i was subjected to many of those and so it's like while it's not it's not something I would hope for is is hardships. Um, but I feel like I feel like with hardships it's easier for you to feel proud in those moments. Yeah, and I think the people who do go through the extra hardships are perfectly warranted to feel a little more pride. Um, and it's also important to realize that like you are right now, when you get your degree, the fact that like, yes, I accomplished something like big and huge, but I have to be thankful and recognize that not everyone even gets this opportunity who could probably succeed in it. Mm-hmm. And so I need to at least recognize that, be thankful for it, but not allow that to devalue what I've done. Right. You know, I still did it. And there's still a lot of people who were given the situ- given the opportunity who folded and yeah. who couldn't. Yeah, know? it's like a weird balancing act between like being proud of yourself and being like, let's keep it in check, man. You yeah, know? exactly. And it, like, I feel like that's bad because like we shouldn't have... I, I feel like we shouldn't really have to like contain ourselves to that boundary. I mean, I think in the moment and right now is the moment, you know, we... This is the exact time to be proud. This is when mm. you get to stand on top of the building that you've built and view the world unlike you've ever gotten to see it before and realize that other people who didn't build the same building will never get to see the same view because they didn't put the work in that you did. Right. But after you've done that and you step down from the heights that you've been at, you can say like, look, I built that, but you can't relegate yourself to that being your life's work. You need to continue. You need right. to do other things. And like that building will always be there, but you can't, you can't allow it to become the only thing that you've built, you know? Yeah. And then if, and if it is, and you continually like only cite that as your biggest source of pride for 20 years, then yeah, shut the fuck up. Big deal. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Do something else. One, uh, one, sort of interesting thing that I heard from you at the beginning of our stay here at, uh, 
the banter dome. The banter dome. Was your your indecision in whether or not college was worth it. Yeah. Has that changed? Yeah, it definitely has. So I went and talked to like a, some professors even about this. Oh, okay, cool. That'd be interesting. Yeah, about how just like the very first time I felt that college was a little redundant mm-hmm. was when I did my first research paper, just a 10-page little paper about jazz. And I went into the library and I looked up like 10 books on the subject that I wanted to write about. And I was like, dude, this is a public library. Anybody could come in here and read like there's eight floors of knowledge here. Anybody could do this. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's nothing. The only reason why I'm learning is because I was forced to do so. But really anyone could take this initiative upon themselves. And I still feel like there are people out there who like, you don't need college. If you are 18 and you have ingenuity and like, you know what you're doing and you're driven, then do it, man. You mm-hmm. don't need a degree to tell you that you can. But I was, uh, what a professor said that I think was the most salient was like, yes, but you, at this point, like college has sort of taught you what to do with the information that you're given. It's like taught you how to find information. It's taught you how to process information and how to like structure it and learn, actually learn from it. Mm-hmm. So I think if anything, like the most important thing that college has done is just simply made me able to go to a library mm-hmm. and learn. It made me able to read and understand it made me able to learn you yeah. know and that is not something that i would say everyone is inherently capable of yeah i mean obviously we're all capable of it because i think if we all were given the opportunity and chance we could all do it but that opportunity and chance surely helps you learn those skills you know yeah because like i i almost like think about it as like homeschooling like i I don't think that college is really just about what you academically process. Yeah, you know? Totally. I mean, so much of about it, for me, was working with people. Um, time management, man. Time management was really important. I mean, but but still, I mean, like, the time management that we're going through now, I feel like it's going to be nothing compared to, like, working full-time, you know? Absolutely. So, you know, it's a, it's a step in the right direction, but... Sure. Um, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I understand that sense of redundancy with college, and I understand how like it's not for everybody, and like some people, it 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 would be a waste of time and money. Um, but for me, it was really good. Um, just the same way with like, like high school sucks for some kids, and like high school was cool for me. Like it was hard. I I put myself through like a lot of academic stress in high school, but it was still like a solid experience. Mm-hmm. You know, like people always be like, oh man, high school sucked. I'm like, no, it didn't. Like for me, it was great. <laughs> so I don't know. I guess I'm just super stoked that I was given the ability to be able to do something that was beneficial for me, even if it's not beneficial for everybody. So, well, we'll get to walk tomorrow. So UT, we love you. Hook them. Yes, sir. Hook them. All right, man. Let's quickly put some numbers on these beers and we'll end the episode. Okay. I want you to go first. You want me to go first? Uh, Hunter, I, I, uh, I fucking love this beer, dude. What is that? Uh, it's just surprising that you're going to say you effing love this beer. Here's why. This beer is so easy to drink, dude. This beer... I'm going to disagree with that. For me, this beer is 9.1% alcohol, so it, it should be heavier and sweeter. 
Um, it's a stout, so it should have like kind of thick, robust flavors. But that sourness for me is is like m- making me able to just drink it easily. And I have That's not interesting. To me. Yeah, and I've never been able to just sit there and like kind of drink a stout easily, you know. Mm-hmm. And like that sourness, in my opinion, is sort of more powerful than all the other flavors. Yeah, it is. And I kind of like that. I like that I'm getting this like almost weird, refreshing sourness on, and then the back notes are like deep, robust, roasted toffee flavors. Mm-hmm. It's fucking. Unlike anything I've ever had before. And mm-hmm. I honestly feel like I'm going to tell people like, dude, you need to try this beer. And I can see myself being like, all right, this is going to be one of the staple beers, dark beers that I buy. Like when I'm just at home, like I want to drink this again. Like I want to show other people this beer. I love, I really but you know that like the average other person won't like this beer though. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just like how 20 year old Chase thought it was disgusting. Right. You yeah. know, <laughs> I, I get that. It's definitely a complex beer with a lot going on and it, it, you kind of need to know what you're looking for to wade through it all, mm-hmm. you know, but I like to think that after 52 episodes of doing this, we've gotten a little good at tasting beer and I really enjoy this, man. I'm going to give this a 9.5. Jesus. Wow. You're putting that up there. Highest. That's, that's the highest rating that has ever been on the show. Ever? There's never been another 9.5? Uh, you put the Brooklyn one in 9.5 as well. Okay. Well, dude, I yeah, I stand by it, man. I feel that strongly about okay. this one. That's fair. Um, I think that it does give it undeniable character. Mm-hmm. And I think that it, it does give a twist to something that I'm used to um, in, in not a bad way. It, it just makes it, it just puts a different lens on it for me, sort of with the sourness. Um, but I think, but for me, the sourness is a little bit overwhelming. Like it's, it's, it's what's keeping me from drinking it more. Mm-hmm. Like I get a mouthful of it and I'm like, Whoa, this is sour. And then I kind of stopped. <laughs> um, but I mean, again, like it's not to its dismay. It's, it's a little bit more difficult for me to drink because of that, I guess. And that's going to be something that I will ultimately probably take off in the, for in the score. I do like the roastiness of it. I think that like the character of the roastiness is good. And uh, I think the body is appropriate for it. Um, it's got a good alcohol content. I really like, like the branding. Uh, I'm going to give it an eight. Cool. I think that it's good for what it went for. Um, but it's not going to be one that I probably would try again anytime soon. But at least it wasn't like an awful experience. No, 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 no. You know? I'm really glad I tried it. Cool. For sure. Awesome. Well, that's been Witty Banter. We didn't have any emails this week, um, so we didn't do any of those. But if you do want to email the show, just send a question in to wittybantershow at gmail.com. We would love to read anything you send us. Anything at all. We'll read it. Please, be, God help. Yeah, it could be, it could be a Hallmark card. <laughs> yeah. Please. So yeah, Witty Banter's on iTunes. Just go to iTunes, search Witty Banter, hit subscribe, and all of our episodes will show up for free in your download queue. If you don't have iTunes, that's fine too. Go to wittybantershow.com to down all, download all of the episodes for free. Keep up with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash wittybanterpodcast. We're also on Twitter. We're at wittybantershow. You can find some of our older episodes on YouTube. We haven't had access to a camera for a little while, so those have been... Uh, not really happening recently. But if you want to watch old topics and stuff, go to YouTube and search Witty Banter episode, I think like 30 and up mm-hmm. is pretty much on there. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Bodacious Chase. Hunter is at Diesel Dorset. That's been episode number 52. We're going to go graduate and then we'll be back later. So goodbye and beat up, beat up. Beat up, graduate, boop, boop. Gotta be deep, boop, boop. Boop, boop. Beep.
Better.